Hi, and welcome to the Campaign Builder series on the It's a Mimic podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we're working with you to build a campaign to get your characters from level 1 to level 20. We know that every table is different, and so is every dungeon master. So please take what you want from each of these episodes and use, adapt, and throw away whatever you need to in order to make things work for your campaign. We have no idea what our party will be, so we'll be designing encounters for an assumed party of the following five archetypes. Warrior, Priest, Mage, Criminal, and Outdoorsman. The characters will be leveling up as we go, but for now we're at level 2, and the party has just been granted some leeway by the local authorities and the reputation as folk heroes is spreading. Let's get to building. So, Dan, look, we're talking about folk heroes. Why? Why is heroism so important in Dungeons & Dragons? Why is this something that that we inject into every game even the ones where we're anti-heroes or, or evil um, evil villains or we run an evil campaign, there's still acts of heroics. Why is that so important? It's the point of the game. Like it, it, We so want to feel like heroes. We want that accomplishment. We want that feeling like we are the main protagonists of our stories, right? Like we, we like feeling that feeling of power and, and, and we like feeling... Like what we do matters in our in in the day to day, and for some of us who are you know you might be a normal foot soldier on the on the job site, or or you're running your life and it's become a routine, or you're stuck in that routine of life. Sometimes it's it's good to kind of break away and hit that fantasy. I agree with you 100. percent But you just yourself finished a multi year campaign where you were not the hero. How did that feel? There were moments of heroism. I wouldn't say I wasn't the hero all the time, but uh, it it still felt good. Um, it it's probably the first campaign in quite a long time where um, the entire ethos of the campaign was to be morally ambiguous, and maybe we're not necessarily the good guys, but we're we've got a mission, and there's an antagonist, and we are fighting the antagonist. It, it, it's it's. When you start defining the campaign by protagonist and antagonist rather than good guys and bad guys. And it, it, it still felt good, man. Like, it still felt like there was a complete uh, story arc. We had deep characters who were flawed. And it really reinforced the opinion that my uh, that the flaws of a character are what make a character great. Um, but... There were still moments where I felt like a hero. There were still moments where I felt like I was the one in control of what was going on. Even though quite often, Lockie was by far the least in control person on the table. Yeah, just for a little bit of context here, you guys started off in a campaign that was, what did you start off at, level 12 around around there? I think we were 11. 11 maybe? Um, and. Yeah. You guys were put into kind of a gritty, urban, but uh, like on the water setting. There was a lot of uh, a lot of water and ships, but also like dirty uh, cities and villages and whatnot all the way along the riverbanks. You guys were dealing with all of the time, but you, your number one goal was to find your daughter. Not only did you find her, but she died um, pregnant in your arms. She was stabbed through the stomach. There was also, uh, you guys were directly responsible. You know, responsible. That, that old chestnut. 
Yeah, that you guys were uh, directly responsible for the Feywild uh, being destroyed as well. There were entire blood plagues that were hitting that you were powerless to stop. And um, there were uh, superpower beings, gods walking the earth, just wrecking house. You guys would walk into a town and by the time that you left, that town would be destroyed. And any NPC you met in that town would be dead, right? You guys saw the idea of there being... um, almost like trade embargoes against uh, the food coming in and out of, of the realm. And you didn't even really deal with that. You just kind of walked on by that and let it run its own course. You took a tour through uh, insanity in Demogorgon's mind, right? Like there were, there were a number of really dark and upsetting things that happened all the way through this. We had not just beloved NPCs, die but also characters like pcs were killed off um and we had uh we had one player leave and their their player character ended up getting relegated into the background and just kind of died off screen right there was a lot of anti-heroic moments there was a lot of villainy we we had to come up with a system for drug use in this campaign as well as you explored that and saw really the negative aspects to it yep so how did you feel heroic? What were the moments in and amongst these where you were able to find these moments of heroism amongst, you know, all the mud and dirt and shit that you guys were just mired in? Well, I mean, as we gained uh, power, as we gained uh, status in the world, uh, we were taking out bigger and bigger threats. And um, for me, I know I, I like playing D&D uh, to be a hero. Like, that's one of the things I, I, I play the game for. And I believe even at one point I came up to you and I'm like, dude, like, I, I think it was just after the whole my daughter getting killed pregnant in my arms. You asked, so how are you feeling the campaign's going? Or, or, or uh, I, I, I refused to speak to you for like a week after that session. I was just like, no, I'm done. I'm done. I need a week. Um, and, and we finally uh, caught up and you're like, so what's going on? I'm like, I don't know, man. I just miss being a hero. I, I miss it. And, and I mean, there were some things like, uh, yeah, we broke into some chick's house, killed her sleeping maid, and then, you know, sprayed her blood across her bedroom in a rather short encounter, but very bloody encounter. Um, but we did that because she had an iron grip on the city that she was running. Right. And, and we thought in our heads, Oh, we're helping to liberate this town. It was the same thing with taking out that one like uh, vampire lord who ran the city of undead. Like we we took him out as like maybe we were thinking we were resistance fighters, right? Like we were morally ambiguous, but like there were times where we would be trying to do the good thing and bad things would just happen. Right. Because we didn't think it through well enough or or we didn't really think about what the consequences of our actions really, truly would be. Um, so that's where we found the minor the minor heroism was um, in our own perceptions of what was going on. And then those perceptions would be um, dashed and we were made to realize what our actions were doing. Um, and then at some point, some of us around the table acknowledged those actions, accepted those actions. And we're like, all right, well, I guess we're just the bad guys now. Right. Um, and they they played these characters to be the bad guys to like 
and it was things like, oh, I want to raise my evil god to this plane, right? Like it, it that level of bad guy. Like what would normally be a big bad evil guy in a campaign, one of our players was. I had kind of finished my story arc and I was searching for purpose after we had rescued my daughter, in quotations. She became a revenant. Um, but you're like, Dan, don't worry about it. There's a plan. And then I got to try my best to be a hero after I had played an entire campaign where I very much wasn't. I was addled with drugs. I was a philanderer. I like I, I did all of these things in the campaign that were bad and and evil. And then had to try to do my best to rectify that and then in the end became a vampire lord so hey it all works out i guess yeah it it was it was really interesting to watch you guys descend um this was the campaign that it's the closest i've ever seen a fall from grace right even the necromancer in the party was very much um uh coming out to go on adventures and do the right thing and yeah i'm gonna raise zombies while i do it but i mean i'm just quirky and weird that way and that did turn into the, I'm just going to embrace the evil. She turned to me with the session left and said, how can I become a lich? Right. And like, that is, that is the kind of descent that, that fall from grace that we were looking for. Your fall happened before everybody else's. And then you tried the, for the redemption arc. And I would say that you semi succeeded. It was a complicated, realistic campaign in the way. I mean, look, you were a gnome running around fighting vampires and talking to hags and stuff. Like, it's not realistic. But the idea no. that there are consequences, you can't just murder the guy in the tavern and walk away. Right? Like, there's shit coming for you. There's always a reaction to any action that you have. And so, did these reactions make you feel heroic at all when they were positive? Because you said that you know you would try to accomplish something and then realize that it wasn't that way and that's where the moral ambiguity comes from and it would it would drag you down so there were times where you would get items or npcs or save someone or accomplish your mission or one of the cities that you sank was the city of undead that whole city was destroyed because you guys just had enough of it it was time for this evil shit to go right even though you have a necromancer in your party it was time to get rid of the city of of dead. So, did did it did it make a big difference to get boons and rewards? Very much did. I mean, it 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 helped me feel like the the goal of the character or the progression of the character was still moving forward. Um, one of the things about becoming heroes, and I mean, becoming heroes is a very umbrella statement. It it is really a pyramid almost. Like there is a gradient scale of what kind of hero you are like you go uh not not to quote my arguably favorite disney movie you have to go from zero to hero that's that's bambi right uh no that's 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 a that's a different kind of uh hero in that one um because the hunter's the hero right you're a bad person (laughs) no it's hercules i freaking love the movie it it kind of shows the hero's journey of being something more than just all right. I've saved this one person now. Everyone loves me, right? Like, um, there's there's a gradient scale to reputation and to reverence, um, and to a community's reverence towards the player, and uh, different boons and bounties and things like that were a really good way of establishing kind of what stage of the hero's journey I was on, right and. Yes, my character was depraved and 
a shell of a person who was dealing with some incredibly heavy, heavy concepts like loss and drug use and uh, a uh, almost a disassociative aspect to him as he he had lost his entire family and his entire reason, like his entire moral compass had been removed from him. Even though we were wrestling with those concepts, having having the boons and bounties given to me when we would do good things were kind of like a silver lining where my character would be like, huh, okay, maybe I can do right here. Maybe I can right this ship. And then I would proceed to flip it and drown. But I mean, there were, there. it gave me hope, right? As a character who was relatively hopeless. Yeah, I would say that a major part of um you see you said the the hero's journey, right? And I'm a big believer in trying to plot out the hero's journey as much as possible, as much as you possibly can in a tabletop role-playing game where you have very little control over your players. <laughs> um, but um <laughs> yeah. but there is the concept of moving forward and you may return to your initial state. That's part of the hero's journey is the return home being changed and different. But there is that sense of moving forward, of accomplishment. And we've spoken in the past on the show, um, a few episodes ago, we talked about rewarding players and all the different kinds of rewards that, that, that you can hand out. We also had an entire episode about unique rewards to hand out uh, on the other podcast. But what's interesting here is that we don't really talk about the heroic nature that comes along with getting that magic sword, right? Of having that moment of stepping up and getting all of these great new things, even if it's a title, and that's it. You you get the you now you are a a countess, and and congratulations, you have land and you've got holdings and you have enough money to have investments now. Like there is a definite step up in the world that you can you can feel when you're playing D anD D, and when you don't have that, you just feel like some schlub on his back foot reacting over and over and over again. And one of the things that I'm not sure if it clicked with you, but when I was running that campaign that we were just talking about, and I was determined to run you guys through the shit because I wanted to have a secondary, a sequel to it where you guys are heroes. And I wanted to have the contrast. Um, And I really put you guys through your paces on this. And when you started to complain that it didn't feel heroic, one of the things that I started doing uh, immediately after that, even though the story kept getting darker and darker, you all died at the end of that. No one walked away from that story. And you didn't even really win. You just put the whole big bad evil guy's plans on pause. And yet it felt good because I started handing out rewards again. I had stopped doing that because I wanted you guys to feel like, okay, I, I wanted you guys to deal with your resource management a little bit. We're talking high level. You guys had a whole bunch of yep. uh, items that you had stockpiled and a whole whack of NPCs. And I'm like, look, you guys have the resources to get through this. You don't need more stuff. Um, but then it started to feel bad because you weren't accomplishing anything. Sure, you're checking off beats of a story, but you're not getting what you need. So I would hand stuff out, but I'd be very clear as well. Like, hey, you can do this, but here are your boundaries. Just because you're a countess doesn't mean you can tell the prince what to do. Just because you have this new magic sword doesn't mean that it can't be broken, right? And so I was really, really clear about what the risk was uh, and what uh, what your capabilities were. And I thought that it was really important to be clear about it, especially in a, in a setting like Dungeons & Dragons, 
where the sky's the limit. Yeah. If you give someone the ability, the ability to doubt, oh, you know, you can teleport at will. It's fine. Whatever. But you don't tell them how far or how often, right? You can say at will. Yeah. Meaning, oh, at with ease. They're just, I mean, every campaign is ruined now. Like that is so freaking overpowered. And yet I saw that handed out at a table one time. I wanted to talk really quickly about the idea of, of boundaries with heroism because that heroism needs to consistently be growing. You are right. It's about moving forward. It is about consistently taking that next step down the road until the journey is finished. And I, I, I think I think far too often I see D&D campaigns um, blow up when that hero's journey has been um, either over advanced or um, flipped back upon itself. And uh, now your character is like starting from zero and with no warning, right? Like it is the DM's job to uh, build into that hero's journey um, and it's the player's job to respond to it and 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 to go. But it needs to happen at a gradual pace. It can't just be, all right, you were a peasant, now you're a king. Yeah, because where do, where do you go from there, right? Like how, how, many, how many people have played in high-level D&D games where they're like, hey, you know, we're going to go fight a god. And they walk around up until level 19 where they are still just murder hobos out in the road. They've got a little bit more going on for them. Maybe they have a ship that they're on, an airship maybe, or they have their own castle, or they've got their own lich who's an arch nemesis. Whatnot. But suddenly they turn to level 20 like, all right, guys, that's it. Off to go fight the god. And they get on their horses and they ride off and then they fight a god next session. Right? Where it's just, that's not heroism. For a lot of people, I think it feels like it would be because that's what, you know, Sleeping Beauty taught us. The hero gets on the horse, rides off, fights a dragon, and there we go, right? But that's not how, it. that doesn't feel fulfilling, right? And so I, I really think that having some, some limitations to the, the rewards and the, and the boons and, and the, the loot that you hand out allows you space to grow. And so what we're going to talk about today with our, where we've gotten, we're level two, right? We're a few sessions in at this point, but this is just level two. We're wrapping up level two, but we're a 10th of the way through this story. And it's time to feel like heroes because we've been making them run around and do errands and they had an exorcism and there was a riot and they've kind of been on their back foot a lot of the time here. And Lachlan's Lot has had their number up until the last, uh, the last, session right so they've been kind of losing every step forward is also comes with a step back right and they've been kind of spinning their wheels in place so um how, how how do we have them get some reward but also not let it uh let it spiral the campaign out of control too early yeah so exactly yeah so this is something that i think about all the time is campaign balance but when people talk about balance they think about is everyone around the table balanced or are the monsters balanced against the good guys and i think about is level five appropriately balanced against level 15 as well and i think that when it comes down to things like heroism and titles and and your abilities what you can do in the world and i don't mean mechanically but like do you have access into these secret back rooms now are you on the up and up with some mages and they're, they want to do you a favor, right? Getting more and more of these, of these special accommodations made for you. This is what makes you feel like a hero. I'm no longer an average guy. 
So we've talked a little bit about about boons and about some, you know, how we need to keep it and and the the boundaries need to keep them kind of in check a little bit. So when you're dealing with new folk heroes, Dan, do you have a couple of unique rewards or unique new things that a folk hero specifically, and I don't mean the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition background folk hero, right? But like the archetype of the folk hero that people recognize in the street and they, you know, tell stories of this person and whatnot. Do you have a couple of things that they might get from this where it's not just a favor that you get because you escorted a guy um, and you finished a quest, right? Well, I mean, I I do, um, but I do want to stress you actually just kind of hit something on the head and got me thinking. There is a difference between a boon and a favor. And uh, when, like we we talked about in the previous section, you know, you need to have some sort of balance to your boons and your and your and your uh, boundaries. Um, this is one of those things where a boon is something that will hopefully last your character um, the whole campaign, if not for quite a few levels, and be something that they can use more than you know a handful of times. A favor is a one-time thing, and, and you have to understand that when you're kind of handing these out to your players. And at level two, which is where we're sitting, you have to be mitigated in your boons as well. So so I've got a couple boons um, that are specifically designated for like a new folk hero, so a low-level character. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let, let's roll. Okay. Oh, shit. Uh, you're going first. Uh, really? I'm going first with a three? Oh, poor Dan. Uh-huh. Poor Dan. Uh, the first one that comes to mind for me is, uh, you've, you've just, honestly, in our campaign, we, we've been talking about uh, law and we had a uh, trial and the court system and whatnot. But I think now um, you're part of a, uh, a merchant's guild. Now is a time when I'm going to hand out traveling papers, but not just average traveling papers. These are endorsed by the city or the township that you're in. They're essentially notarized. This is, hey, this is not just a person or a group that, that has been, um, like, that lives in the city, but these are, these are people we're proud of. These are officials. Let them into your town. They will do good things for you. Um, I have, uh, for my, one of my boons here is kind of the same thing. I like the idea of giving rank or giving, um, uh, some sort of authority because that's one of the things we've been building into them over the past few sessions is some sort of authority and now they need a rank that signifies that so I would I would have them deputized um, even maybe just some members of the party but at least someone in the party is gonna gonna become deputized um, within the either local militia or the town's guard ship um, where they now have the authority to kind of break up and arrest people. Um, without having, you know, some drunken villagers say, hey, you can't do this. They can now. Yeah, uh, look, I, I like that a lot. I like the idea of of them becoming authority figures, even at a low stage, because honestly, most of your NPCs are tier one, right? In their level of, of power, right? They're, they're early. By the time that you're tier four, you're dwarfing even a sheriff, right? So when, when it comes to the idea of, of getting... Maybe not even being deputized, but at least having people say, you know what, you are in our reserves. If the city is under attack, we're going to come get you, right? Like, if we've got a problem, you're going to be our point of contact with the Merchant's Guild now, right? Just that idea that, that you are a little bit more official 
or a lot more official than you were before. You're not running a town. You don't own a keep, but you have some some sway, I guess, with your opinion moving forward. All right, so my next one, and this is going to be tied directly to my guild, but I want a guild boon as well. This is going to really keep you um, focused on your on moving forward. It's not going to have really anything to do mechanically with the world at all. And even from a flavor standpoint, it's a neat little thing, but it's going to open up opportunities for role-playing op- uh, options within the guild later because the city itself will be thankful enough that you have intervened that they are going to give the guild 10% off on tariffs. It really means nothing, but think how happy the guild members are going to be. The merchants, the people like um, uh, the person that runs the guild who we haven't even met yet. We've got Tremblay who runs our chapter house and he'll be thrilled as well. But now there's starting to be little rumblings. You're you're starting to hear more when you end up uh, walking through a town uh, or through the town square and whatnot, it's going to be emergency. Like, oh, I don't like the looks of them. And someone else just elbows them and says, hey, those are the guys that made it. So it only cost this much for you to sell your wares in town. Yeah, no, I really like that because um, it also gives your party um, a little bit of perspective on their uh, their actions having an effect on the broader political scene or the broader guild scene or power scene or or whatever it is. Like like you said, I, I really like this because they're not deliberate. So they're not directly being targeted for this boon, but this boon is being gifted to their organization because of their actions. It's something like you said they'll never really see the effects of, but it it will definitely make their position within the guild better. Yeah, and they will feel happier getting it too. That's the other thing. Like it feels like a big heroic win without actually giving them a big heroic win. So um, yeah, right. from a DM standpoint, the illusion of progress is sometimes as important as progress itself. So, so for my final little boon here, um, part of me wanted to give them like a gift or reward, and I think that fits in a different in a different section. So, so I, I instead went with um, um, a a a more group uni- uniting kind of boon, and and for me it was every single group needs kind of a headquarters, every single group needs a place they call home, and, and like they've got the guild house. And they've got their rooms in the guild house that are permanent and all that and all that, yeah. But um, they should have a place that they could go to um, outside of that that they could even develop and 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 whatnot. But I mean, they're level two, so I I want to kind of get their foot in the door here, and I want to give them free uh, room and board at their local watering hole for extraction. I I I don't even think there needs to be an end time on this, but um, the the innkeeper is so grateful to them that they have given them you know one of the biggest suites that they can use uh for their entire party at no cost whenever whenever they want to stay there they would get discounted drinks not free drinks let's not go crazy but uh they'd get discounted drinks and free food while staying there and i would also make this probably not the shiniest cleanest most expensive room in the end it's definitely one of the early tier rooms but it's big enough for your entire party to rest after after a night of being out on the town and whatnot um it's definitely a place where you could even have your party hang up notes and and have their own little like who is pepe da silva 
uh, wall with little red twine leading from notes and postings. It's a place where they could put that um, where they know it won't get cleaned up or observed or uh, like a place that's safe and secure. This is what I would give them after all of the work they've done at level two. And it would also kind of instill in the party, a, you know, it's not the most secure place. So eventually we want, we want a bigger place because every single adventuring party without fail through all of time wants their own friggin' keep. And it's far too early to give someone a keep, but it's not too early to plant that seed of, Hey, you want your own place that you can modify and build it into yourself. I like that. I think that, that providing the opportunity to have services, not necessarily goods, because that's a direct reward here. You got a brand new shiny suit of armor, right? Um, yeah. And even what I said, traveling papers earlier, those are, those are goods, but they provide a service. They give opportunity. I like it being services because when you're not there, you don't actually get to reap the benefits of it. You know you still have a place back home. Even if it's not, if you're like, hey, look, the chapter house is good enough. I don't need this. Then it's free stabling at the stables, right? Or, or yeah. hey, you are part of a merchant's guild and you get a free booth now where your artificer can sell what they want, right? Your craftsman, because there's always a blacksmith in every... In every D&D party, right? Someone is a dwarf who just happens to be a blacksmith, right? Now they can sell their own stuff. If they spend their downtime building things, they they can turn a profit. They get a business license. They get whatever it is. There's a service. So I like the idea of it being the tavern because it's a staple. It's recognizable. It's a good first boon to give them. And then let them kind of spread their wings from there. So we've talked about some positive things that you get for being folk heroes. But, I mean, you know me, I like to make things complex. What are some negatives, Dan? <laughs> what are the downsides of of there being uh, this new level of fame as you're walking around? So let's uh, let's roll initiative on this one again. I've got a couple, if, if you've got a couple as well, so. Okay. Oh, seriously? What'd you get? Um, I did one better than last time. <laughs> okay, well, um, I will go first again then. That's a two, by the way. It's it's one better, one better than the one I had last round. <laughs> so I guess I guess the first thing that I would say the big negative is that rumors are going to spread, and while that may seem like a good thing about about your guys, the rumors can be spread by bad people too. They can get thrown completely out of proportion. It's like, oh hey, did you guys hear? These are the guys that stopped the riot. And you walk into a town three villages away. You walk into a village and there's a little roadside. And they're like, oh, those are the guys that stopped the riot. Like, yeah, we did. Look at us. Like, oh, free drinks for you. Tell us a story of how you murdered that giant. And there was no giant. But now suddenly you have to come up with this story. And there's going to be this negative repercussion now from these rumors that are being spread. You do not have anonymity. The next time that you need to sneak sneak through town, someone is going to recognize you. And you can't just put on sunglasses and a ball cap, right? And pretend you're Mel Gibson walking through Hollywood. You've got to like legitimately get a disguise kit or use a spell or something to be able to get out and infiltrate. Now, this is really going to screw up a rogue becoming this famous. And and I would like to, to see that your edgelord character sitting in the corner, your criminal, is going to really have a problem keeping up with their assassin's contacts 
if they are super freaking famous. No, I, I, I really like this. And one of the ones I was going to bring up was going to be this idea of you are now uh, famous. And um, I, what I would say to add on to it is just to reinforce the idea that um, stories are living things. They have the uh, ability to grow and change and expand in ways that the people involved in the story might not have any way to control. So like you showing up at a town and them already knowing your story and then you try to correct them and be like, no, there was no giant. They're like, no, no, no. You see, my second cousin was there and they wouldn't lie to me. There was a giant. Uh, you're 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 telling me there wasn't a giant? Well, well, then you're the liar, not my second cousin, which is completely something the party cannot control. So I, I, I like the idea that now not only does your party have their names out and get the good rep, uh, benefits of that, now they have to deal with people getting their story wrong and being unwilling to change their opinions on the story because stories grow and change on their own, even in ways the party might not expect or want. Yeah, I like the idea too of you guys walking into a tavern and they say, oh, hey, look, it's them. This must be them. And the warrior walks in last and they stop. They're about to give you free stuff. And then they see the warrior and go, wait a minute. I heard you were six foot eight. No, guys, this isn't them. Never mind. You guys don't get the discount. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, for mine, I'm I'm I am gonna kind of build on uh what you said, Adam, with the fame and how people will get the story wrong, but um and people understanding and and recognizing them, I I'm I'm putting a target on the players. They they've become folk heroes. Um, you don't become folk heroes without at least making some sort of enemy, and it could be an enemy you don't know about. Um, so they're level two, so I'm not going to be hitting them hard with this, but it's definitely going to be a plot thread that where they could go, where they are now the target of a group of con men, and the boon I give them is going to be probably an NPC that at this level seems helpful, but there's something weird about them. And then some of their stuff might end up going missing or or some of their information might get out to, to an enemy and they'll have to wonder, how did they know we were going to attack in this way? Um, and it's because of this shady NPC that I want to give them. I, I really like that. I like the idea of this this con man, this 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 dubious uh, ne'er-do-well getting into the mix. And I like the idea of them having to, to deal with this. Maybe this is the first subtle betrayal. I wouldn't have this guy get super chummy with them for the next six sessions and then all of a sudden stab him in the back and leave one of them for dead and run up. No, this is just someone who like, Sad, tell me the story while well, he's picking your pockets. Yeah. Right? This is... Level two um, hijinks that you're getting up to, right? So the, yes. this isn't, you're not making a, a brand new arch nemesis here, right? Uh, there could, it could lead to that, right? This con man could work for the Thieves Guild, right? And, and you yep. could end up, you know, knocking out the con man. He goes back with a story about these heroes roughed me up and threatened the whole Thieves Guild. Now the Thieves Guild's out to get you, right? It could lead to that, but it doesn't necessarily have to. The uh, the other thing that I think is is worth mentioning as well is that there are what I affectionately like to refer to as star fuckers. And these are people that that see, if you're not familiar with the term, a star fucker is someone who sees a celebrity 
and says, oh, I need to be a part of that. And they will just go out of their way to work their way into your life. They will do everything in their power to leech off of your fame. Your, your bard character, your, your minstrel, now has people applying to play backup for them, right? There's just a lot of shit going on. You, your warrior, now a squire stepping forward, trying to, trying to get some more from them. And I think that, that having these people, not necessarily con man, but people just trying to leech off of their good name. Suddenly, the guild numbers swell. But it's a bunch of really ineffective, ridiculous people. This guy over here is a dung merchant. The problem is, we think that sometimes when no one's looking, he eats the dung. Right? And, like, do you really want to be associated with someone like that? Fun little NPC, but that's going to hurt your social standing. You just got this big boon. You are now famous. Are you going to be dragged down by, you know, what's-his-face? But that ties right into my next one, actually. Now, I don't know if you remember this, Dan. Back when we did our episode where we built the guild... We had an NPC that we built. He was a clerk. He was ineffectual and ridiculous. And he was already a member of the guild. He was a half-orc named Oscar. Yeah, yeah. And we don't know at this point, we discussed, but we don't know at this point whether or not he's a double agent. Or he's going to double-cross them in the long haul. We, we, we don't know if this is going to be a major plot point character. But here's my negative thing. Now you have this guy that's following you around. The guild order says you have to babysit him. Take him on his next adventure. Show him the ropes. Get him out in the world. Teach him what you need to. And he's going to record what you guys are up to. Now you have the guild watching you closer. And you have someone who is making your life harder. And you can't just get rid of them. That's the other thing too is even if they ditch, if they tie him up and leave him, you know, on the side of the road and they just ride away. Three days later, when they wake up at a roadside tavern, he's sitting there going, guys, that was a hilarious prank. I'm so glad that I finally caught up with you. Yeah. <laughs> right? So this is a guy that you cannot shake. And he is going to auto-fail stealth checks. He is going to misread every conversation. And he is going to tie up the horses to each other. Uh-oh. Now we don't have horses. So, like, this guy is going to be a royal pain in the ass. And I think that over time... Your players will get to turn this NPC into someone who is a very positive member of their of their party. But their group of five just became a group of six. And to start with, this guy's kind of a bumbling freaking idiot. No, I really like that. It, give, it also, even if it's not necessarily a member of the guild, I mean, the way we'll do it is, is we'll, in our campaign, we're given this member of the guild will be that. But like... In your campaigns, it could be a orphan or it could be a um, – I know in our last campaign, we got uh, a Kenku child that we were suddenly responsible for. Um, and in some in some instances, this is going to become like the heart of the party. I know we in other campaigns we've ran, we had like a little goblin who was a – uh, transformed horse that got transformed into a goblin? It permanently polymorphed into a goblin and did not understand what goblin life was. Yeah, so we had this sweet little, like, goblin that would follow us around it everywhere, and, like, for us as players around the table, we would literally chant that if Yormi dies, we riot. Um, and, and you as the DM knew that if you ever did anything bad to Yormi, or if he died, 
you'd have a full-on mutiny at the table, right? That's how beloved this character was. So, I mean, but Yormi was, what, level two when we were all level eight? Oh, there, there was a major, like, babysitting. And keep in mind, too, that we ran across him at level eight, and we thought he was a bad guy, and my character straight up tried to murder him at the beginning and did not want to take him along. Goblins are evil. He is a goblin, therefore he's evil. I can't believe we're doing this. Right? And so there was a downside to taking this this helpless, pathetic little pile of sympathy with us. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the good side is we ended up really building uh, some camaraderie around the table because we all held um, the opinion that if your army dies, we riot. So... If our fun little NPC, who's like a cute defenseless X of some sort, um, whereas X is the variable, not like an ex-wife, but like it's this this cute defenseless creature and we need to protect it. Now your party's getting together, but it's, it is added responsibility. Um, so I, I, I love it. For my last one here, your party's become uh, folk heroes. People are looking up to them. People are looking... Um, to them for help, uh, maybe even giving them little gifts or or things like that. Um, one of the things I would definitely do is any any. I mean, I, I I've said that you were targeted by a uh, mali- uh, malicious organization as well, um, and we've said that there are negative aspects to the fame. But I would say for all the good publicity your characters are getting, some of that is going to be bad publicity as well. And not only do they have to uh, um, deal with like maybe a direct assault from some sort of con man or even a direct uh, organization that now is targeting them other than Lachlan's lot, which we've built into our campaign. But there is going to be a group of people who um, are going to be spreading rumors or even speaking truths about some of the bad things your party has done. If, if, if we are going to look into our campaign... Let's look at like the priesthood who now won't trust these characters because you had to put down a major threat and uh, some of the religious might not have been okay with that, right? Um, or at least how your party ended up yeah, doing it. Look, you like, you know that your players decided to rob a shopkeeper at level one, right? Like that's what players do. So nothing, nothing came of that until now. Now you're famous and that shopkeeper showed up and said, look, those are the guys. They did it. Arrest them. And now your party's uh, misdeeds that they've done when they were just kind of farting around at the beginning of the campaign are going to start to come out as well because these people have more to gain from your downfall because you are higher up. So um, this is the the um, um, the people who like throw their names in with other tragedies in hoping or, or these class action lawsuits that might not have ever actually befallen any of this stuff but they're just trying to reap some of the reward even um and and party in with the people who dislike your party enough where they're going to try to sully your name and now not only you're running into rumors that are wrong you're running into rumors that are maliciously uh, misinforming everybody we've talked about the upside and the downside of what it takes to to be a folk hero what happens how your life is going to change and we've given the DMs out there a little bit of an idea of, of how to add a level of complexity or depth to this new title, which at surface level really means nothing. 
right? You can say out loud, almost from a meta perspective, oh, so you guys are like folk heroes now, right? And they'll feel really good about themselves. They'll feel even better when they start to get more rewards. They'll feel even worse. And that'll, that'll get taken away from them uh, when, when bad stuff starts to happen. But as they deal with it, they're still progressing. Even though there are negative consequences, they're still moving the forward or moving the story forward. And so um, they're able to, to see some repercussions of their heroic deeds, either for good or for ill. And this will solidify them and bring them close together as a party as well. By the end of level two, before you get your big level three boost, which most gaming systems now these days aim for level three to five, gets your big power boost, your first one, right? And that's when in fifth edition, most of the classes, not all of them, but most of them get their subclass options to kick in, right? Um, It's at this point where we want our guys to be a cohesive unit, right? We're, what, eight sessions in now? They should have gotten past their initial distrust because I am an edgelord in the corner, right? And now they're working together. They've got, they've had common goals and through the dynamic encounters that we've uh, established, they're able to move forward and, and experience the teamwork and the camaraderie that, that we want them to because they like shit has been out of control and they've had to think on their feet. They've been on their back foot some of the time. They've been reactionary sometime and now they've won. But let's look at our campaign specifically now. So they just won the trial and Lachlan's lot had their leaders make an, uh, a big move and the leaders escaped justice. And there's a significant number of people out in Lachlan's lot. Like this is a full guild, right? It's not a small little shop of four people. There's got to be a good solid 20 people now that are now the most wanted in our city of Sandspit. What do we do? What what do we do with this new sense of heroism? And what what goes on with Lachlan's lot as well? How are we going to see all of this play out where the established guild that was our biggest nemesis is now in ruins, the reputation in tatters? And we, who had just been this plucky little upstart from the discount magic item shop, is now is now um, full of this great reputation. What are some dynamic encounters that we can run into in Sandspit uh, in the direct fallout after the, the civil unrest? And the gods have gone missing and people are still reeling from it, but some heroes have stepped forward and they've made a name for themselves. Uh, Dan, as is tradition, you and I have each created uh, three unique dynamic encounters um, if for this exact scenario. Let's, uh, let's go through what we picked and why. Do you want to roll initiative? Okay. Yeah, sure. Hey, that's better. That's a 14. Well, it looks like it was my turn to get a two. So, <laughs> all right. It's, it's all you, Dan. Take us away. So, uh, as we're starting off, I have a role-playing to combat encounter in which a beloved local NPC uh, who was grievously hurt during the raiding and riots has sent... For these new local heroes, I would almost say that this guy's probably a shopkeeper that is either loosely affiliated with the Merchant's Guild, if if uh, if not at all affiliated. Uh, like, I don't want them to be a direct guild member, but it, it's somebody that uh, maybe has some sort of pull um, and is a beloved on the town level NPC, has sent for the party um, to uh, help protect them in a upcoming shady business deal. Um, and my encounter here is this deal 
is going to sour midway through when Lachlan's lot reps um, bust in to break up the deal, probably because these Lachlan lot reps could be the other side of the table um, or are are protectors for the other side of the table who um, recognize the party and uh, refuse to do the deal with them around. Um, This is a uh, role-playing to combat encounter as you get to sit and watch kind of a shady business deal go down um and and then it's a full-on combat and i would say like a a partially burned out warehouse somewhere right and and uh then you're having to fight through these lock and lots and get your contact who's a beloved local npc out even if they're not beloved they're the person that's going to pay you at the end of it right like you, you can it doesn't have to be altruistic you can be in it for the money you would, hey, look, we're famous now. What job are we going to take, right? The only reason why I would make this guy a bit of a, like, local... I, I almost wanted to put down, like, local celebrity. Like, he, he's a he's a figurehead of the community. Um, because he is then going to, it once you get through, he's vouching for your party moving forward as well. And he could give this a bit more uh, umph to the reputation. And, and a little bit more gas to the reputation gain that your party is getting during all of this. All right, so for my first one, I wanted to make it really, really simple. As you guys are out looking around um, and you are in in town, you're kind of surveying what the damage is done. Maybe you're going back to the temple. Your players are going to have ideas about where they want to go after this, what they want to do next. They're going to assume that they've got some downtime, but they won't. Because your party is going to get jumped by Lachlan's Lot, which is out for revenge. So they're going to be desperate and they're going to send some heavy bruisers and they're going to be too powerful for your party to take on by themselves. This is going to be a combat to combat because things are going to get really out of control here. Because as your guys start to get backed into a corner, passers-by and civilians will see what's happening and recognize the fact that the bad guys are coming after the new guys that just saved the temple. They just saved the the market square, and they have uh, they've let people into the uh, into the town like refugees, and they're these are the good guys, and they're in trouble. And random people are going to show up, and they're going to pick up items, and they're going to come to your defense. And now you're going to have a bunch of NPCs, which you're going to have to babysit. And maybe this gets even more complicated from there where some ex-cops that were a little bit shady that came out and, like, the town's guard um, were uh, outed as being corrupt during the trial process. They are pissed off that they're not going to get the money. They joined Lachlan's lot. And now you've got a little bit of a mob clash in the middle of the streets. Uh, so I like, I oh, like I the it. idea of the fact that the riot is not done. There's no looting, there's no current violence, but it's a powder keg still, right? People's tensions are high. And the same way that you're, you're having dealings and meetings in warehouses that are burned out, I'm having fights in the street because people are desperate still. Their way of life has been interrupted, and the gods are not there to help. So I like to build on the fact that the... Um Entire city has been through something that is going to change the culture of the city for a long term. Some of it's probably still smoldering. Some of it's probably still burning. And a lot of people are going to be going to these taverns and places of vice to be able to drown their sorrows and whatever it is. And what I want for my encounter, I have a 
um, combat to role-playing encounter where the party stumbles upon a barroom brawl as tensions have finally um, met their broken point and broke. Um, as they're out wandering the city, like you've mentioned, they're out doing their errands, thinking they have some downtime. They come upon a barroom brawl um, and halfway through, they come to realize that the reason why the barroom is brawling is there is one of the priests that kind of fell into this um, mind control state during the temple event um, that is now hiding behind the bar. Um, he had tried to apologize, but some people in the bar had uh, family members that were either killed or maimed or will never be the same because of what happened at the temple. So they uh, a fight broke out and got out of control. And this guy managed to hide behind the bar. And now you've got to get him out while he is trying to apologize to your party and make amends to people in the room as well while dealing with his own guilt. So you've got a an NPC who doesn't want to fight. He feels like he's done enough damage, but he's the cause of the fight and your party has to kind of rectify this situation. I like that. Maybe even he is uh, is the priest if you manage to save him that was possessed and people don't understand yeah. that he was not in control. Yep. Yeah, there's so many little layers of reality you could inject into this guy to make him seem more um, sympathetic. Sympathetic, yeah. Um, and I mean, let's be completely honest. The people who are in the fight, in the brawl, they could be sympathetic characters as well, like farmers or merchants whose uh, forces were or whose families were permanently, irrevocably altered because of all the events that have been happening. All right, so for my second one here, um, this one is going to require a little bit more prep work from the DM, um, but you're going to be able to kind of sit back and see where this goes. I want to deal with some downtime here. Once you've gotten back to the chapter house, once you have taken your boots off and you have wiped the blood off of your knuckles and you have restored your spell slots, it is time to wake up, kind of take stock of what's going on around you, and um, you're going to realize that people have come to you. There's a list of people, and I will provide a literal list of people with some very simple descriptions and a basic motivation. They need help. They're scared. They're uh, desperate. And you guys helped before. Can you help again, please? This is a real moment of heroism for your guys, but I'd be very clear and transparent as a DM. This is where I talk about boundaries. You can't help everyone. Pick and choose the people. And maybe this list that I hand out isn't written on one piece of paper. Maybe it's written on a handful of scraps of paper. And, and I, I hand out one and I say, are you interested in this? And they say, no, move on to the next one. And then I bring forward another one. And there's some really juicy stuff later on that maybe they want to wait for. But that means that they've got to turn people down. So give them the opportunity to help others. And then you'll get small little... Um, role play scenarios. They'll have to make a single check or something in order to be able to to get through this. But the downtime will become alive and vibrant, and they're going to make more contacts. You can write down who really loves them for what they've done and who resents them for not helping. So for my final encounter here, I I have um, an uncomfortable role playing to role playing encounter, um, and. This is one of those opportunities where I might target the criminal or or um, one of the other uh, archetypes that might be a little bit more agoraphobic or doesn't like people or whatever it is. 
um, because I would have a, a local widow um, or someone who has been um, severely um, like a, a, a sad uh, character to draw on the, the compassion of the party um, comes forward and uh, thanks them for their actions in saving her or her family or whatnot. Um, weeping, and I want this to be in a public area, in like a tavern or in the middle of the street or or something like that. Um, and and offers to give the party, I don't know, like this was my ex husband's most beloved suit jacket, or or something along those lines, like something that is not going to be even really meaningful to the party necessarily. Um, but is, is like this grand gesture on the widow's behalf towards this party because she's so thankful for, for the work they did at protecting her and her family. And this is going to draw the attention of other people around who are going to start crowding around. And this is why I kind of want to target the criminal or the, or, or the people who don't want the fame. The, the outdoorsman getting surrounded by people is going to make them uncomfortable. Yeah, right. I want to. I want to have that little bit of 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 uncomfort as people are walking around. Like, yeah, no, they also did this, and they also did this, and I want to use this as an opportunity to kind of share with the party the level of effect their actions have caused in the more microcosm of things. So, like the more personal effects that have happened from a large scale disaster that that has befallen the city in recent memory, um, and I want to do that with this and. Some of these things the party might realize were not them that did it. And if they attempt to take the reward for something that they didn't actually do, this could be another thread later on where this negativity comes in and is like, wait, I, I thought it was them initially and I gave them this you know, family heirloom item. But then I found out it wasn't, but they took the heirloom anyways and, and are refusing to give it back to me, these, scum, these scumbags. Right. And it, it flips that narrative as well a little bit. So I, I would have I would have this kind of uh, crowd of people singing the praises of the party. So what kind um, of encounter is that this? just keeps on getting added onto? This is a role playing to role playing encounter as you first deal with the one, the 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 widow. And uh, she gets so loud and, and, and so overt in her actions that it draws in more and more and more people. I like this because it really sets you up for a lot of role-playing opportunities in the future. And you can establish kind of a, a mob of people that you can refer to later. You'd be like, remember, this was the guy that gave you the whatever, right? We also talked last episode uh, about the idea of there being customs. Uh, we, we listed out a lot of different kinds of law and order and whatnot. And maybe this is something as simple as... You give three silver pieces to someone who has saved your livelihood somehow. There's a custom here that's given. And maybe maybe it's not even silver. Maybe it's, it's blue gems. And the gems are useless. Except that uh, you, if you get enough of them, you make a, uh, a scabbard out of them. Or you wear these gems uh, encrusted upon your belt so people can see you and whatnot. And then later on, if you fall from grace, people can come and take the gems from your belt. It's something like that, right? Like it could be uh, like prized high quality furs or uh, gems or uh, insignias of some sort, right? Like like little little like rune chits that you now hang from your arm. I like the idea of there being little coats of arms from families. And, and the, this is the custom is if they give you a little a little patch that you wear on your cloak um, 
then yeah. you can trade these patches in for favors or for room and board or for whatever in the future, right? And so there are these these just just a custom that th- this widow steps forward and gives you <laughs> gives you a big one, and then other people come out and they say, you know, I I only have I'm already indebted to these people over here, but here's a small favor, here's a small token, and you're sewing it into your into your cloak, and this is a cloak that you wear within Sandspit. Oh, I. Even better because I know I'm targeting the outdoorsman or the or the criminal or or something else like that. Um, make this thing like little bells that if they don't wear while they're in Sandspit, they are, they will see it as an affront to them because it's this 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 custom. So you have to wear them. But I'm giving it to the people who need a stealth and their little bells or like that's chimes. just evil. That is just mean, and I love it. <laughs> Okay, so for my last one, this one is is really simple and it's going to come out of left field as your guys are sitting there saying, okay, what do we do next? There's been rumors that Lachlan's lot is gearing up to leave. Um, we've heard uh, nothing from them in a little bit. And then all of a sudden, an NPC with some sort of um, magical ability bursts into the guild house and starts screaming for them, come quick. There's some sort of danger that is going to happen. I can sense that there's an ill omen. We, I need you. Shit is getting out of control. Something is going to happen. Whether it is a monster that is um, suddenly summoned into a town square, or it is a uh, magical explosion, or whatever it is, is Lachlan's lot creating a diversion while they um, while they are trying to escape, and so. This is an exploration, um, or sorry, this is a role-planked exploration because this is this person coming in and telling you, we have to go, we have to go, we have to go, and catch you completely off guard. I would almost interrupt downtime with this. Or in the, in the middle of another encounter, you just suddenly someone kicks that door open and says, you have to come quick. And now you have to yeah. find whatever the source of this thing is. And... um. I say it's to exploration and not necessarily combat because it could just be a massive trap or a glowing rune that's going to explode or something, right? You've got to disarm this somehow. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. There's combat or there's consequences, whatever it is. But there's a straight-up act of terrorism and one person in town knows it's going to happen and they come to you, not the town guard, because you're the new heroes. Yeah. No, I really like this because it... it it really builds into the fact that the reputation of your group being the group that gets shit done um, is is going to be both a positive and a negative effect. Because what happens to the town guard who's on your side? You might have been deputized by some of them. Um, uh, but what happens when they find out that people are subverting the actual legal authority to go deal with threats to the town? I, I, I like this. I, I, I really like the the... Um, role play opportunities here. <laughs> I also like the idea of uh, throwing in a ticking clock into an otherwise calm. Like even though you're breaking up bar fights and you're getting jumped in the street, we're returning to a sense of peace, um, and it really feels that way. And I don't want that to happen. The gods are are missing, and we are still dealing with the discovery of that. Okay, let alone the the ripple effect from there. Uh, we'll deal with that in far later episodes and later sessions. But for now, people are still shocked and afraid. It's only been a couple of days. 
what is still going on out there. And, and there are people that will like, including Lachlan's lot. These are our bad guys. There are people out there that are going to manipulate the situation for their own benefit. Okay. You sexy heroes, you flexed your muscles and you've cast your spells and it's time for a break. This will let us adapt to our new level of fame. But it's also going to help us keep our egos in check a little bit. So we're going to break. And let's tune in next week when we discuss how we go about building NPCs. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder series. You can find us at www.itsamimic.com and on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Dan. And I am the Heroic Adam. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. Fuck. Okay, bye.